Well, good morning, everyone. Thank you so much for being here today uh, with us. If you're a guest visiting with us, thanks for being here. We're starting a new series today called Since You Asked, and I'll be answering some questions that you all here in Oklahoma, y'all, presented to me for answers. And so I'm looking forward to, to sharing with you about what that looks like and answering those questions for you. I'm just going to give you a heads up. This week, as I answer these questions, they are primarily, actually, exclusively intellectual or historical in nature. Um, so let's kind of set the stage for this, this series. So what I'm going to give you today, uh, and next week as well, is I'm going to give you my best explanation for your questions. I cannot guarantee you that will answer the question that you're asking. If you need more information for those of you who presented questions, then I would be glad to, to, to visit with you right after service today. If, um, if uh, you have new questions that come up based on today's uh, conversation, I'll be down front. Please ask those questions as well, okay? So they'll be available for you. So this week is primary, primarily intellectual and historical. Next week, for those of you who would say, you know, this today wasn't for me, next week is... is going to center around situational ethics or situational Christianity. How does my faith interact or, or uh, come to terms with what I'm experiencing in terms of trying to live that out, trying to live out the gospel, live out Christianity? That's next week, so the hope that you'll um, come back for that. So let's do this today. Here's the questions. There are, I think, five or six of them, and let's get started. Since you ask this question, let me answer it. Why do you believe what you believe? Now, listen, this is not a staged question. That's one of our core values, okay? We know what we believe and why you believe it. This is someone who just submitted this question. Why do you believe what you believe? Or what reasoning was used to arrive at our church's beliefs? Is that a valid method to base the church's beliefs off of? And why is it not a valid method when applied to beliefs you do not hold? Now, that's an outstanding question because it has four parts or five parts, whatever that is, right? This is right up my alley because I never ask just one question. I like to ask about ten questions so that you can drill down deep enough to understand what's going on. So let me unpack it for you for just a couple of minutes. Why do you believe what you believe or what reasoning was used to arrive at our church's beliefs? All right, so full disclosure, much of my belief system was shaped by the church that I went to and the parents that I had the privilege of uh, uh, living underneath or having as my own. These two things influenced me as much as anything else in me establishing an initial belief system. So I went to a free will Baptist church. And so that helped, that, that, the, the teachings that centered on free will Baptist a doctrine helped formulate my belief system. However, one of the things I've gone through over the past decade or more is I have reevaluated every single belief that I hold in my life. Test everything Scripture calls us to do, and then hold on to that which is good or true. Hold on to that information. Um, and so I, I've been through this process. Everything from is there a God and all the other doctrinal distinctions that's, uh, that, 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 that I hold to. Okay, So I have tested all of this. So what I use to establish my belief system is certainly leverage what I learned in church and learned from my parents. And then I tested that through a series of different tests. I've studied the historical evidences. I've studied the scientific evidences. I've studied the, the theological um, 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 conversations, both for and against what I would believe. And I've thoroughly researched those things. Now, I'm not an expert. I'm your pastor. 
I have a I have a bachelor's degree in theology, no master's degree, and no doctorate degree. There are people way smarter than I am, and that's totally okay with me. But I've researched those things. That's how we've arrived at the beliefs that we hold to here, not only in my life, but here at Solace Church as well. That's the process. And the question is, is that a valid method to base the church's belief off of? And then if, if it is valid, then why is it not valid for someone else? That's a great question. So William Lane Craig helps us here. Do you guys know who William Lane Craig is? Just for fun, let me see your hands if you know who William Lane Craig is. That's what I thought. So the three of you in the room, four of you who know who William Lane Craig is. William Lane Craig is one of the, in my opinion, most brilliant philosophers on the planet. He's a Christian apologist as well. He studies this stuff in incredible depth. One of the things he says that was just great is that that the... The information that you hold as your beliefs, the, the, the ideas or dogma, that that can be true and valid regardless of the method by which you arrived at that information. In other words, if I were to tell you I had a dream that, that, that God created the heavens and the earth or the universe and that I believe that there is a God based on my dream it would not negate the fact that there is a God and he created the heavens and the earth just because I'm telling you I believe that because of a dream. In other words, the method or avenue by which you arrive at a belief doesn't invalidate the belief even though the method might be a little sketchy, (laughs) right? So the method is not as important as the arrival of the information. What's important is the information you hold is true, that it can be defended, that it's logical and reasonable, defensible, that it's actually true. That's what's important. And so here's what I would say. If you don't like the fact that I, you know, we are a church as we are because I grew up in a Free Will Baptist church or my mom and dad taught me such and such, well, that doesn't negate the fact that it can be true in and of itself. Is that fair? Okay, so I would never criti- criticize someone's method so long as it arrived at what can be defensible. But if their conclusions are wrong, then I would question the method by which they arrived at their conclusions. What I'm after, and I've been criticized for this, but what I'm after is truth. What is actually true and what is provable or defensible? And let's land on that information. Is that fair? So that's kind of how I arrive at where uh, I have arrived in this journey. But every single thing that I have believed, I have tested, and hear me, it has been painful. And it has been difficult to go through a process to, to see that I have been wrong in a few instances. Very few instances. But I have been wrong in a few instances. So I hope that helps. Question number two, since you ask. Oh, this is good. So I've been faced with questions from work colleagues lately around Christmas and Easter and the legitimacy of the dates concerning celebrating these events and the modernization of Christianity in the church. The evolution of the church and how today's congregation or community worship worship differs from the original idea of assembling together. I am not as well versed as I should be on these topics and I'm anxious to learn more. I realize I should read about these topics on my own, but honestly at this phase in life I'm doing good to read all the information required for my job, read my devotional, the Bible, and the marriage, family, or leadership book of my choice. Does anyone else can anyone else relate to that? You're like, that is my life. Right? Thank you for your honesty and your question. Those may seem like easy topics to address in your eyes because you have studied much more than I have. But information or more information would be beneficial. All right, so two great questions. Think about since since they ask, let's talk about it. 
How did we get the dates for Christmas and Easter? Great question. And then does the 21st century church look like the first century church? Great questions. Let's talk about Christmas and Easter. Those dates that we hold dear in our you know, Christian calendar. Well, so this might be a little disturbing to some, but just so you know, Christmas specifically, the 25th, was not when Jesus was born. How did we get the date? Well, this might be disturbing as well. December 25th is a date that uh, the Christians really, really chose or know that it was actually a formal process, although it eventually was formal. But they used this date because this date, December 17th to December 25th in the Roman calendar, was the period of time when, when, when uh, the, the winter solstice happens, the shortest day of the year, and, or 20, what is it, like 21st, 22nd, 23rd is the winter solstice. But this week of celebration marked the time when winter was coming to an end and spring was just around the corner. So in, 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 in first century Roman culture, there was a pagan holiday attached to that period of time. It was a pagan holiday that worshipped the sun god Saturn. It was called Saturnalia. Not to be confused with citronelli. Uh. You're welcome. It gets better from here, I promise. It's, it's all uphill from here. This, this, this pagan ritual, though, was actually attached to, attached to very, very vile and depraved activity. The truth of the matter is, if you would study history, this was a really really like like vile week in Roman culture. They engage in all kinds of stuff that we would consider just totally, totally debased. And it was in that process that the Christian church wanted to try to gauge, at least the best information I have, to try to engage in this and try to shed some light into the darkness. And so they picked the 25th, the end of the celebration, to try to pivot the emphasis from debauchery or debasement to actually the light, this, this light shining into the darkness, which is Jesus' birth. So that's one of the reasons why we did that. Now, the way we celebrate Christmas in our world today, it really is a kind of a hodgepodge of taking a lot of different customs from from many different cultures and bringing them together. So, for instance, the mistletoe came from one place. The, you know, Yule logs, Yuletide came from one place. Uh, The the singing of carols came from a different place. Uh, The whole idea of having it on the 25th, as you just heard, came from a different place. So we have a hodgepodge of activities. I know you thought it was all kind of formulated out of Jesus. He just kind of laid out how Christmas should be celebrated, but that's not the case at all, right? Here's how I want you to celebrate my birthday. Didn't happen. Did not happen. So that's that's kind of the summation of the story of how we've got the date. Now, is that problematic? Well, there are some who who would be really bothered by that. Some will not celebrate the birth of Jesus on the 25th of December because it's attached to all these secular ideas. And here's what I would say. Paul gives us great freedom in this. Paul says, look, you're no longer under bondage anymore. These whole idea of customs and regulations and all these things. Look, if it's bothersome for you, don't do it on that day. Do something different. But if it's not, if you find freedom in that and the Holy Spirit is not convicting, if there's not a check in your gut about that, then celebrate Christmas. You're celebrating the birth of Jesus. The truth of the matter is, the date isn't that big a deal to me. In first century, uh, in first century uh, culture, people weren't so much excited about the birth of a significant individual as the way that person died. So, for instance, Mark, the very first uh, uh, writer of one of the Gospels of Jesus, doesn't even talk about his birth at all. (laughs) 
just skips right to his ministry. It's not until Matthew and Luke that we have some account of the birth of Jesus. John doesn't even talk about his birth in some kind of historical sense. He just mentions it theological, or in a theological sense. And so, so just so you know, the first century culture wasn't wrapped up in the birth, although I know we are, and it's okay. Here's what I would say, though. If you don't like the way Christmas is celebrated, by all means, create some new customs for your family. The problem I see today is not that we've chosen December 25th as the birth of Jesus. The problem is consumerism and materialism. <laughs> I mean, we, we, we do gifts on Christmas and we're like, Does our, do our kids really need another you know, rope, remote control toy? <laughs> really? <laughs> Does he need that dinosaur that roars when he pushes that button? Is that really what we're missing in our life? <laughs> right? And so if we want to rethink Christmas, I don't think we should get all tied up with the actual day. There's no way that we're going to know the day. Let's talk about the pattern. All right, what about Easter just quickly? Easter is a little more closely connected to some historical significance. December 25th is not. Easter is set, basically, it's set by the, by, by the Egyptian or Jewish calendar. All right, so just real quick, here's a history note. Egyptian calendar, Roman calendar, really was a, was a solar calendar attached to the cycle of the, of the earth around the sun. Jewish calendar is a lunar calendar attached to the cycle of the moon. They are not the same. I think it's like 365 days, 5 hours, 19 minutes, some seconds that it takes to the revolution in the solar calendar. The lunar calendar is like 354 days. It's shorter. And Jesus' death was attached to the Passover, the Jewish Passover. So his death, burial, and resurrection, Easter, is attached to the Jewish Passover. And that happens at a different time in terms of their calendar because it's a different calendar than what the solar calendar is. And then, and I'm not going to go into this, then you have the Julian calendar and the Gregorian calendar and all this madness trying to figure out exactly what days actually really were and when they were, right? And here's what you're doing right now. You're like, you're Charlie Brown's teacher. <laughs> like, wah, 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 right? I know I got it, so that, let me just stop with that information. The truth of the matter is, bottom line is, we established Easter presently today as best we can based on the, um, the, 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 the spring uh, the, the, the winter-spring transition, um, the equinox that exists around March 21st in the northern hemisphere. And so basically what we do is we say from that day, and there's a certain you know, phase of the moon, and then we pick the, the Easter celebration. That's when it ends. You're like, oh, great, I thought it was really the day Jesus died. Well, it's hard, again, to establish that because you have two different calendars. <laughs> but hear me. You can get lost in trying to figure that And totally missed the significance that Jesus actually lived, he actually died, and he actually rose from the dead. That is the significance of that. We can get lost in all the other details and miss the point. All right, let's move on because that's a really good question. The other question is, what about the first century church and the the 21st century church? Do we look alike? Great, great question. You ready for the answer? Yes, we do. And no, we don't. If you're asking the question, if we look like the first century church in terms of what are, what are the priorities of the church or the, or the um, mandates of the church to carry out, I think the church still understands what it's supposed to be doing. Love God, love people, those are critical parts. Evangelism, discipleship, worship, fellowship, those kinds of things we still do, those are critical parts to the expression of the church. What's very different is both cultural and, 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 and methodical or method, methodology. In first century uh, Christianity, the church was oppressed and it was persecuted. We don't experience that. They could not collectively meet as we get to 
because of fear of persecution. So they had to meet in, in homes, sometimes in secret places. Eventually, under, under uh, 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 Constantine and, and, and others, the church was kind of liberated from that persecution. But the bottom line is, the church did what the church is still doing today. They met together, they worshiped together, they encouraged one another, they reached out into the community and helped the poor and the needy. Those things are absolutely true. But I think in some real sense, it's not bad that the church looks like it does today. There's nothing wrong with air conditioning. Do you know how bad this would be if you were having to listen to all this and sweat at the same time? Like that, that's horrible. Has the church ever lost its way? Of course it has. It's had to refine itself many, many times over the last 2,000 years. But I think the church, in terms of understanding what it's supposed to be doing, understands it. How well we live it out is debatable, and it's a good conversation from church to church, quite honestly. But I don't think it's that far off, and you're going to see a little bit of that even later in the message. Um, uh, Next question. Since you asked, Pastor Matt, in a recent message you mentioned how we need and should support the organized church. And I would say amen to that. Nothing wrong with the church being organized. I am in full support of this. Thank you. Appreciate you agreeing with me. Uh, But I have a question I would like to pose to you. I don't agree or maybe should say understand the multitudes of organized religions other than Jewish or Islam. We call ourselves Christians, so why are there so many variations when we all started from the first one? It's a really good question. If Jesus gave us the truth, then why are there so many branches of Christianity? It's a great question. So let me make some distinguishing uh, uh, statements so that we're all on the same page. There's a difference between Christianity as a religion and all the other world religions that exist. I'm not at all suggesting that Christianity is like any other organized religion in the world. It is not. It is unique in and of itself. One of the, one of the primary differences in most every other religion except, or organized religion except for Christianity is that every other religion, man's trying to get to God. But in Christianity, God comes to man. Huge difference. So Christianity is not like any other world religion. Our closest connection is Judaism, of course, because Christianity comes out of Judaism. But Christianity is not more fully expressed in Islam. It is not. Islam is a, is a complete different system, even though it claims its roots in Judaism and Christianity. Is that fair? So that's one piece. The second piece Inside of Christianity, there are things we call essential Christian doctrine and non-essential Christian doctrine. Quickly, that means there are things inside of the Christian worldview and world religion that must be believed in order to be called a Christian. In other words, you must believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. In other words, you must believe in the divinity of Jesus, that he is fully God, and in the sufficiency of Jesus, that he is the way to God, Or you're not a Christian. That is essential. But inside of Christianity, there are things called non-essential Christian doctrines. Things that we can disagree on, debate about, but not divide over. (laughs) Do we have any Baptists in the room? Anybody came from Baptist background? You guys raised your hand? You guys are going to hell. I cannot believe you did that in church. Did you not grow up Baptist? I'm deeply offended right now. How about any, uh, like, Assembly of God Pentecostal background? Where was the whoop, whoop? Where, where, I, I, needed some, I needed some talk back there, right? 
In this room right now, we have Assembly of God and Pentecostal and Baptist, Southern Baptist and Free Will Baptist and maybe even Episcopalian and Presbyterian, Methodist. And if I didn't hit you, you were, you know, independent Baptist or you maybe even came from a Catholic background. All these different, all these different kind of nuances represented in the room. Hear me. Inside of Christianity, there are things that we disagree on, but we can still be called Christians. How did that happen? Well, Jesus handed off the gospel to the apostles, and they already started arguing. (laughs) One generation into this, they couldn't get their act together. And then from that point forward, we've not all ever agreed on anything. Out of the Reformation, this period of time when the church was very Catholic, out of the Reformation, there were four major branches. Out of those four major branches represents the larger tree of denominations that we have today. That's how we got here. Inside of Christianity, in the non-essentials, we should not divide. Let's debate, let's discuss, but let's worship together. One other segment that's important. Inside of statistics in the world, as the, inside of the statistics that represent Christianity in the world, there's about 1.2 billion people that are called Christians. But inside of that, there are those who, inside of Christianity, would be... Let me say that again. There are those represented in that number that would be considered a cult and not Christian. Mormonism, Jehovah's Witness, and others are listed in that umbrella. So there's Christianity against the major world religions. There's Christianity infighting, inside conversations. But then there's also what's labeled Christianity that is not Christianity that's called cult. And I would not embrace that as, as inside of Christianity as well. Does that make sense? So that's where, that's where we are in terms of the information today. Okay, Hope that helps. Next. Since you ask, can a person be a liberal and be a Christian? That's pretty good. Before I answer that question, it, you don't know where I'm going. Don't chuckle, laugh at me. Before I answer that question, it, there may be some in the room who, or uh, maybe even some watching online, that come from a, um, from a, a liberal, political liberal uh, ideology. And those who embrace that might say just the opposite question. Can someone be a Republican or a conservative and be a Christian? Really important question. Because you guys know that politics and religions don't marry very well. They don't join together very well. Here's the short answer. You can be liberal and a Christian. And you can be conservative and a Christian. And you can be independent or libertarian or Green Party or no party and be a Christian. What is required to be a Christian? That if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you would be saved. It's the acceptance of the finished work of Christ on the cross and the acceptance of the fact that he, as God, was raised from the dead on the third day. That is, that are the, that's the requirements in Scripture for salvation. It's very clear. It's accepting Christ as Lord, receiving the salvation that's provided in him. That's it. I think the, 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 the underlying tone to this question is really more about social issues. All right. Nowhere in Scripture does it say, thou shalt be a socialist or a capital, capitalist or a communist. Not there. 
Scripture does not mandate fiscal policy on governments. It's not there. So let's have great debates about that. I'll tell you my personal opinion on what I think works best. But, but, but it's not about Christianity. Are there some kinds of governments that are anti-Christian? I think that we could probably say yes to some of those. But that's not the point. What is the point? Someone really wants to know, can you embrace abortion and be a Christian? That's what they want to know. Can you embrace same-sex marriage and be a Christian? It's very interesting to me. Those are the two hot topic issues. And I always get in trouble for bringing those up. Someone always wants to say this to me. And I can appreciate it. They always want to say, why do you make those two things the big deal when, when there are people in your church who do all kinds of other things and still come to church and call themselves a Christian? You have people living together and shacking up together and doing all kinds of things before marriage. And why, why don't you get upset with them? All right, so hear me before I answer those. Don't live together and be sexually active. Scripture's pretty clear on that. Don't do it. Don't cheat. Don't steal. <laughs> all right, don't do it. All right? None of us should. It's not acceptable. But the question is, is can you embrace a platform that says, we're okay ending the life of a human child in the womb and reconcile that with the Lordship of Christ? Can you do that? Well, you want my answer, don't you? I think the answer is, it's very clear in Scripture that God has created life and it's valuable. For he knit us together in our mother's womb and he, and he fearfully and wonderfully created us. And I think, I think that any political system ought to embrace the value of life. I absolutely believe that. And that I'm not running for office. I'm just trying to reconcile scripture. And I think it's very clear that God has ordered the family unit. One man and one woman in a marriage relationship. It's very difficult to, to, try to, to try to reconcile a Christian worldview in the Lordship of Christ with a different view of the family unit. It's pretty clear about that, right? Now, is it crystal clear? No, there's even some room inside of that conversation. What about polygamy and things like that, right? But that's the question. I'm not going to resolve that tension any further today. You just asked me, can you be a liberal or a Christian? And the answer is yes. And you can be conservative and Christian. Oklahoma, every single county voted red in the presidential, last presidential election. <laughs> We're pretty conservative here. I got that. Next question. <laughs> what is the best resource for standing against New Age Gnostic beliefs? <laughs> wow. If you ask me that, you get bonus credits at Sol- credit at Solace Church. Because you're doing some homework somewhere. That's, that's pretty awesome. So for those of you who don't know what New Age Gnosticism is, it, it's basically a reinvention of first century Gnosticism and maybe even previous to that. What is Gnosticism? Well, the, the, just the short version of Gnosticism is this view of some superior knowledge. The Greek word gnosis is where we get Gnosticism from, some kind of superior understanding or knowledge. And basically the way it works is this. New Age representation is this. That, if I, that, that I'm very interested in spirituality. Now, this is really important to hear. I know in our world today, naturalism and a Darwinian evolution kind of runs the... Uh, it kind of is front and center in terms of philosophy today. I get that in terms of the scientific community. But hear me. Spirituality is on the rise in America and around the world. Spirituality is not dead in our world today. Lest you get around someone that says, if you're spiritual, then you're just ignorant and uninformed. That's not true. Spirituality is on the rise. I'm not suggesting that Christianity in America is on the rise. 
but spiritual things are on the rise. Gnosticism fits into that void and fits into that, that momentum. What is Gnosticism? Hear me. Gnosticism is, I just need a better understanding. There's this superior information out there that, 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 that progresses me further on, the, on this perpetual um, uh, upward uh, movement of understanding. So I've just got to get some more information. So what does that look like in our world today? It looks like uh, self-help sometimes, even though there's nothing wrong with good one, two, three, four steps to fixing things. Sometimes it looks like um, uh, meditation. Sometimes it looks like yoga, even though yoga is not wrong in and of itself. You do stretches, that's totally cool. In and of itself, there's nothing wrong with that. But these are things attached to Gnosticism. Um, This new understanding is, uh, if I just get in touch with my feelings, if I just understand myself better, then I'll be okay. Now you would say, well, what's wrong with that? If you know yourself better than that, good. Well, hear me. This is where Christianity flies directly in the face of this. You know what Scripture says? (laughs) That... That, um, that we do not have the mind of God. Whereas Gnosticism says, get in touch with myself and that'll make me a better self. Scripture says, deny myself <laughs> and follow Christ. And wisdom com- comes from the Father and flows through me. I don't gain this by some kind of soul searching, although there's nothing wrong in and of itself with searching out who I am, but I'm denying myself in Christianity. Gnosticism says I'm embracing myself and I'm just gaining this better understanding of myself. Because I love myself. Jim Gaffigan, if you ever heard his comedy. That's not appropriate. (laughs) New Age Gnosticism is not new. Gnosticism was very much first century. As a matter of fact... John writes his gospel in part to deal with Gnosticism. First century Gnosticism said Jesus was not, didn't, didn't re- resurrect in bodily form. There's nothing, there's nothing uh, uh, about the flesh that uh, the, the, the best is the spiritual understanding and I should just you know, disregard the flesh. And John writes this, this, this gospel of saying, in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. This theology, this theology of the Trinity. There's Jesus, he is fully God, he is not the Father, but he's there with the Father and he has created all things. This theology, this, this, this understanding of Christ. And then in verse 14 of chapter 1, he says, in the, uh, the, the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, right? So he's dealing with first century Gnosticism. And so if you were to ask me a question, what's the best resource for, uh, for standing against New Age Gnostic beliefs? Ready? I studied long for this. The Bible. <laughs> because it already deals with it. John deals with it in his gospel, in his three letters as well. Paul's dealing with it as well. Many of the writers of the New Testament are dealing with it. Next. I feel like there could be a whole series around a 30-something Christian A lot of awareness, change, and empowerment comes in these years, and it has a dose of confusion with it. (laughs) Yep. I'm in my 30s. That's a pretty good explanation. I'm going to guess the question here, even though that's the end of the sentence. The question is, can you give me any advice about being a 30-something and a Christian? You didn't know this when you asked this question, but in August, we're doing a series called Decades. And I'm going to be talking about the 20s, 30s, 40s, and 50s. I'm blumping the rest of you 50 plus. I I don't have time to go any further, right? It's just 50 and older, all right? I'm sorry. Forgive me. I'm in my 30s, and so 
When I'm 50-something, I'll be more specific in that age. We're going to be talking about what it looks like to work through those, those, different, ages, or those different decades. And there's some incredible information about that. Christianity uh, in, in life looks different in 20s than it does in the 30s for sure. And I'm only 38. I'm working on 40. And I'm almost to that golden age of irrelevancy at 40. Where my ideas no longer matter. And so we're going to talk about what it looks like to work through those things. Incredible. Incredible information in Scripture and as well as just practical wisdom. So we're going to work through that. All right, so. I think that's the last question. Is that the last question? Isn't it remarkable? Isn't it it amazing that in any given week that in the workplace, in the home, in the school, the people of Solace Church are wrestling, trying to come to terms with challenges they see in in the everyday world, in the workplace, in the intellectual and historical realms. And they're trying to reconcile those things. I love it. If there's one thing that I've taken away from this series of questions, and there'll be a different series next week, one thing I've taken away from this is, I am so thankful to know that I'm not the only one sitting in a room somewhere trying to reconcile some very difficult things. So thank you for wrestling with me. Scripture calls us to that. And if you look at this and you go, oh my gosh, you know, this is not for me, and... I almost fell asleep, and I did actually fall asleep, and I'm sorry. It's the third time. (laughs) Here's here's all I would say. That one of the greatest things you can do for yourself is think critically. Think critically. Engage in these conversations so that you might be able to test everything and hold on to that which is good. Now, to conclude, (laughs) because it's been right at an hour, and in 21st century church you can't go more than an hour, (laughs) that's definitely different than 1st century Christianity. Paul preached so long that a guy fell out of the window and died, and he had to bring him back to life. (laughs) That's a true story. We're going to do something very first century-ish to conclude our service today. Um, we are going to be sending today, uh, this week actually, a team of people to Ivory Coast, to Tonda. And they're going to be doing a feasibility study. Hey, this is Pastor Matt Blair. Thank you so much for taking time to check out our podcast today at solacechurch.com. You know, we realize that it's possible, as you listen to this message today, that God may have spoken to your heart about something. So if you made any kind of spiritual decision, we would love to know about that. You can email us at info at and let us know what happened in your life today. Once again, thank you so much for taking time to check out this podcast.